0: Lord, so teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Whether we like it or not, the holidays are upon us. We can protest all we want about Christmas decorations being out too early and the music starting to play in the stores. It's not even Thanksgiving. But here we are. It's a valuable time, I want to suggest to you, for Christians. And rather than ranting against such things, this time of year in our modern American culture, we find an alignment in many things of our values with the alignment of the wider culture's values for the season. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Many will echo the words of our Lord that were recorded in Acts chapter 20, verse 35 by St. Luke at this time of the year. It's more blessed to give than receive without knowing it. And people put their money where their values are, or at least their credit. According to the National Retail Federation, the average American spends around $650 on gifts for family and friends alone each year. And if you add in non-gifts, entertaining and the like, it comes to around thousand dollars a person. You can look at the negative side of this, that gift giving is fed by consumerism and sure on that, I agree with you, but it is giving nonetheless. Americans also give a great deal to charities and culminating at the end of the year. According to Giving USA, the average American donated $737 in 2020. Friends, we blow those trends away here at St. Anselm with our giving. Last year, we had 27 households in this congregation, pledge to the operation of this church. And our average pledge here in this congregation is $6,979. Almost $7,000. To say that we're a generous congregation would be an understatement. And you're to be commended on that. Of course, that doesn't count the additional time and the talent That you give to serving on committees leading ministries teaching providing hospitality in your homes serving one another in those ways as well as prayer and so on this in gathering Sunday 2023 we do indeed have a great deal to celebrate God continues to provide for each one of us all that we need and an abundance of good and then some, both spiritually and physically, praise God for what he's doing in our midst as a parish. During this time of the year, the lectionary intentionally deals with the themes of giving, stewardship, and preparation for the return of Jesus in the great judgment. Those things are all together. And just last week, our Lord Jesus Hold the parable of the ten virgins. That parable is both sobering and encouraging. And today's parable actually continues right on the foot of that one. Did you notice how the gospel reading launches right into it? Look at it with me. Either opening your Bibles to Matthew 25:14 or your scripture inserts. The Gospel reading begins, For it will be like a man going on a journey. Well, what's it? Well, the kingdom of heaven, continuing from last week. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. And last week, Jesus makes the same point, but with a different emphasis. In the parable of the virgins, we saw that as Christians preparing for the bridegroom's arrival, which is the final judgment We must not fail to partake in the bridegroom's purity And to discipline ourselves in that purity so that we're ready for his coming This week, Jesus makes that point, but he switches the emphasis to one of assets which is interesting and a little bit different rather than purity. Rather than the image of virgins and virginity, the five foolish and the five wise, today we have the church represented by servants. Three servants. Two industrious and one wicked and lazy. As we look at the text today, we see three things, therefore. We see, number one, the gift of God, the master who goes away to the servants. Number two, we see the purpose of God. And number three, we see the nature of God, the nature of the giver himself. We're not going to go line by line through today's text because it's actually a fairly long gospel, but I want to look with you particularly at verses 14 and 15. Please look at that with me. "...for it will be like a man going on a journey, who has called his servants, and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away." The gift is immense. The talent is a weight measurement, kind of like the British pound, Right? Like, we're reminded of that every time I step on the scale, right? I'm reminded of that. Hmm. But the pound is also a currency in the ancient world. It's like a pound or an ounce of silver or a pound or an ounce of gold. So that's the image that Jesus is using here. But the point is actually not the amount. I mean, you can go and calculate and tabulate, try to tabulate Everything that's being said with the image. Um, I think one calculation I saw brings one talent of silver to about 20 years' wages, which is over a million dollars if you, you know, bring it into our dollars today. But the point's not the money, not the amount of the money. The point, the point is rather the great value of what's been entrusted, which is what the gospel says here. So, what are the riches of the church? What is it that's entrusted to the servants? Well, when Jesus ascended into heaven to sit at God's right hand, he gave his followers an inheritance. Do you realize that? He doesn't just give them a challenge and a task. He gives them a great inheritance. In the ascension, when Jesus goes to sit at the right hand of the Father to come back and the living and the living and the dead. He first bestows upon the apostles and therefore the church this great gift. Saint Jerome, that famous translator of the Bible, says, Calling together the apostles, he gave them the gospel doctrine to one more, to another less. Not of his own bounty or scanting, but as meeting the capacity of the receivers. As the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 3.2, Jerome continues, that he fed with milk those who were unable to take solid food. And so, therefore, friends, the Apostles here are our model, as Jesus is saying. Their chief inheritance, of course, is eternal life, true life, full life, not just here, but in the life to come. But their most precious gift, their most precious inheritance, is gospel doctrine. The gospel doctrine. Each apostle carried to the ends of the earth the inheritance given by Jesus to him. But some to some were given more, and to others were less. They were commanded by the Lord to pass these treasures on, this inheritance on, to proclaim the gospel doctrine, and in Jesus' words, to baptize and to teach and disciple to the ends of the earth. Of course, with the promise that he was with them and would be with them to the end of the earth. We know the rest of that story is Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit comes with them to the ends of the earth. St. Paul, the apostle, interestingly, who wasn't present at the ascension, but does see Jesus personally later on, writes this to the church in Ephesus in his prayer, his earnest prayer asking, and this is Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, that God, quote, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And so we see there the hope, right? That hope is a certainty in the fact of how God's going to wrap things up, how things are going to end, how things are going to be restored. We see that in the Creed. But also we see here the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That God has entrusted his riches to the church to be passed down from generation to generation And when we are entrusted with something it's not our own But it is in a sense our own to manage our own to use or our own to bury What are the riches or the inheritance of the christian you might ask? The answer is both simple and Unfathomable. Salvation is part of it. Right? Redemption is part of it. The hope of the resurrection is obviously part of it. But most simply put, the the Christian's inheritance and the riches of the Christian are this. God. God himself. The riches given to us is God himself. There's no greater gift. As St. Paul writes to the Colossian Church, chapter 1, verse 11 through 23, once you were alienated, alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So God gives himself to you, that you might present yourself back to him as an offering and a thanksgiving, having been made purified, as we learned last week. But St. Paul continues in verse 23 of Colossians 1, saying this, If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. So what is this most precious gift, this gospel doctrine that St. Jerome talks about? Well, it's number one, God himself, and number two, this good news that we can continue and be established and firm, holding on to the hope that God's given us, the gift with which he's entrusted us. As a baptized part of the church, dear friends, you have this great rich. You have all riches that come with it. You have been reconciled to God. But what are we to make of the talents back in our parable. Can someone have more God or less God? Interestingly, the answer of the church fathers is yes. We can have more or less of God. It's long been the observation of great thinkers of the in the human mind that the human mind rather is, and soul, is, ma- is malleable. Human beings do have a fixed nature, to be sure. A human soul can never be an angel or a dog. But humans, particularly Christian humans, can develop more capacity for the angelic and indeed the divine or more capacity for the base and the brutish. The soul and the mind is malleable. It's changeable. What you do, what you offer... Matters a state of being that those things affect in your life matters So what does it mean to increase one's treasure as the parable today bids us? It's a pretty good return that the first two servants offer, right? They double the master's money Well, it means to increase our knowledge as to the riches of God? To increase our capacity to possess in the sense that anything, anyone can possess God. To increase our capacity to be filled up, to possess him, to have him in us. Look at verse 26 and 27 in the gospel. Again, today we'll do another little bit of a core sampling here. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I, do not, where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Continuing on, Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. The master's judgment upon the wicked and slothful servant is that he is wicked and slothful. The Greek word here is is um, okneros, or okneros rather okneros, meaning indolent, sluggish, slothful, and lazy. Wicked we'll leave for now as self-evident, but indolent, sluggish. Slothful and lazy Is the criticism the master makes of the servant the third servant has been given a wonderful gift Remember one talent is like a million dollars But there's much else wrong with him with his attitude and that's the master's primary criticism That he hides his treasure so that it's no use to anyone even himself Two servants are faithful. One is not. On the level of the church, there's a warning here. Woe to those who have great means, who have been given the great inheritance, the great treasure of God himself in the gospel doctrine and do nothing with it. Woe to the church that does that. I often look at at the grandeur of buildings built on generations of hard work whose members have abandoned the gospel currently in favor of false religions and ideologies, and I shake my head. What great worshipful work could have been conducted in such buildings, and was. And if I feel that way, imagine the judgment that will come from the Master on such churches. But when I reflect on the great gifts that God has set before us here at St. Anselm and ask, are we being good stewards of the gospel we've been given? The challenge renews itself again. For the challenge, dear friends, as to what to do with the great treasure we've been given lies before us every day as a choice. As the parable shows, the church And individual servants in the church of Christ must have a certain boldness and never fall into indolence, that is, laziness, and sloth. As my insightful wife, Leah, pointed out to me this morning, discipline is part of our offering. Discipline is part of our offering. Living a disciplined life where we're conforming our mind, as St. Paul says, to the mind of Christ, where we're conforming our actions, our deeds, our giving, all parts of our life to Christ, that discipline itself is an offering unto God. It's not easy to do, as the servants show us. Doubling the master's money doesn't just come by burying the treasure in the yard. I dare say that none of us would say that he or she is lazy. And I wouldn't say that any of you are lazy either, by the way. But slothful, maybe. And I look at myself in this first and foremost. For what is sloth? Classically defined, it's not doing nothing. Do you know that? Sloth is not doing nothing. Sloth is is doing nothing either doing nothing or doing much without discipline, without direction, without objective. A slothful person can be the busiest person in the world, running around from this task to that. But if his life isn't ordered in right direction, if her tasks are not oriented around the proper goal, such a person is slothful. Just as we must be disciplined in our money, we must be disciplined in our spirituality, in our awe, because we've been given so great a gift. So dear Christian, where are you in this parable? Why do we read this before Christ the King Sunday, next Sunday, where we'll hear the judgment? We read this as a warning and a refreshing challenge to us The church, who holds that great deposit of the gospel, has scheduled us to read this so that we may not become complacent and lazy today or tomorrow. Or that we may not become hurried and slothful in our busyness today or tomorrow. Dear friends, do you realize the great treasure that you've been given in God giving himself to you? It's not for the next life, although the next life is important. It's for this life to be invested, to yield fruit as we prayed in our collect today. You have been reconciled by God. You've been granted privileges of knowing God, that the Bible says even the angels for ages desired to look into. Your minds have been enlightened to know not just about God, but God himself, and to have the full assurance of hope of how things are going to end up. But here's the challenge. Do we walk around that way, with that kind of purpose, with that kind of direction? When others around us grapple and grasp for the meaning of life, do you? Gosh, I hope not. You shouldn't. What does your daily worship look like? By what I mean, how do you use your unfettered access to the Almighty with good effect? Do you walk through life with confident humility? Or do you dash from task to task as one who's harried by the world with no direction? Do you have a holy boldness that causes you to take chances with the gospel? Or are you cowering somewhere in a corner, uncertain and unequipped to act with your greatest asset? It's not a matter of what you have, been given at least, It's a matter of what capacity you have and have developed. Finally, the wicked servant is so unfamiliar with God. That always strikes me. Every time I read this parable, the wicked servant is so unfamiliar with God, he's so unfamiliar with the Master, he doesn't understand who the Master is. Right? Look again at the passage. This is the the latter part of verse 24. Master, he says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Let's stop there for a moment. What's he calling the master? Well, for one, he's calling him a cheat, a thief, someone that gathers and steals what what he doesn't seed. That's a thief. What else is he calling him? A hard man. A hard man. And he acts on that false personal knowledge. Look at verse 25. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. What a sad view of God. How can a Christian have such a view of God? And yet, we see that in our own lives sometimes, in our own actions, in our own responses to God's good gifts. Dear friends, don't be unfamiliar with God, and so unfamiliar with God, the great giver of life, that you make the mistake of this third servant. Origin of Alexandria writes, The third servant seems to me to be, to have been one of those who believe, but do not act honestly, concealing their faith and doing everything that they may not be known to be Christians. They, are, they who are such seem to me to have a fear of God and regard him as austere and implacable, which honestly makes no sense, for he's given the greatest gift that he can give. God is not austere and implacable. He's not hard or cheat. He doesn't even need your money. He doesn't even need your efforts. But the discipline of following him is a gift to you because you do. Because I do. Because our souls need to be conformed. Our minds need to be conformed to him so that we can have the capacity to enjoy Him and love Him forever. And we need to share that with other people. Indeed, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So as you sit around the Thanksgiving table or interact with others this week and weekend, in this season, remember that you've been given the most precious gift there is. Access, unfettered access, to God Himself and the way for others to have that access to. Build your own capacity to know him. Act boldly. Act intentionally. Speak and think in discipline to the great gift that you've been given. Make your priorities conform to it. Good stewardship begins with knowing what you have, why you have it, and who gave it to you. Good good stewardship begins with knowing what you have, why you have it, and who gave it to you. And so on this in-gathering Sunday, let this not just be a lesson for us in our tithes and pledges, as we'll be collecting those today, for that's just monetary, that's just part of it. But let this be a lesson to us in our whole daily worship, in our offering of ourselves unto the Lord, that he might be pleased and that we might be more capable of seeing him with an enlightened heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.